there. Uh, our annual church meeting is postponed, obviously, for we didn't think that we'd get a quorum today, and we probably wouldn't have. So that's postponed until next Sunday after after the service. Uh, ladies' prayer brunch is uh, still on track for Saturday, uh, February 20th at 10:30. Uh, the Schaefer Conference is still on at March 8th through the 10th. Keep your eye on the email from West Houston on that. There's probably going to be a lot of things coming out regarding that in the next week or two. Uh, the Israel trip is still scheduled for May 30th through June 12th. If you have any desire to go on that, just email us at staff at westhoustonbiblechurch.org. And lastly, um, the Roku channel. For those of you out there in live stream land, the, the Roku channel has a problem right now where you, when you go to it, the familiar little live stream button is no longer there. There's a real easy workaround, and I put an instruction on the Dean Bible Ministries website under the live stream menu option. You go there. There's a little par tiny paragraph at the top on how to get to the live stream, um, and it appears that the problem is with Roku, and, and we're having some problems getting them to fix it, but it's very easy to do, so just go to that instruction, and uh, you'll be able to get the live stream on Roku. So... Uh, Friday, I was running around the airport, and look who I found. Welcome back, Pastor D. Well, thank you, and I did not bring this weather with me. This came from the other direction, but in Kiev this coming week, it will be, I think, down to minus 9 Fahrenheit. So... And that's very unusual for over there. It is not, it's not Moscow. It's not up north. It's, uh, so usually the temperature range is in the upper teens to freezing somewhere in there. So it, was, uh, it got down to zero a couple of times when I was there. But it was a great time of ministry. Uh, one other announcement I have to make is that when I was at the pre-trib conference this year, uh, the speaker at the banquet was Dr. Erwin Lutzer. And for those of you who don't know, Dr. Lutzer is the pastor emeritus of Moody Church, Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And he's one of these people who just writes. I mean, all the time. I've been reading what he has written since I was in seminary. I think I picked up one of his first books. And he's, he's very good. He and Charlie Clough, turns out, were in the same uh, class. And so uh, he has written a book that is very timely. And so we have purchased a number of copies. And so we're going to ha have these out in the fellowship hall for you to pick up, uh, one per family. And it is called We Will Not Be Silenced. And it is about dealing with all of the current problems that are coming out ideologically that are impacting uh, the nation. He has a chapter on uh, called Using Diversity to Divide and Destroy, uh, another chapter on freedom of speech for me, but not for thee. He has uh, uh, chapters on the sexual abuse and sexualization of children and gender. He has another on capitalism and socialism, another chapter on using radical Islam to destroy America. 
and uh, he has a total of 10 chapters. Those are just some of them, but they are, I had started reading it at the conference and have too many other things not caught up, but a number of people I know have read it, and so we highly recommend that you read it to get answers, biblical answers to what is going on in our culture today and how we as believers should respond. So uh, it's it's great. And Barb is not here, but I think there's a way we can access, and we'll send an email out on this, access his talk at the banquet, which was quite fun because apparently since he was quite young, he has been doing impressions of various Christian leaders, including Billy Graham, and he's very good. Charlie said he used to keep the, 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 his class in stitches with all of his um, different uh, impressions of these. Uh, he would uh, have uh, uh, interviews with uh, Billy Graham and with a number of other well-known speakers at that time. So Donald Gray Barnhouse among them. So that's quite interesting. So anyway, p- pick up your copy afterwards. Our call to worship today, I don't need that. I've been gone two weeks, I forget what I'm doing. Okay. Call to worship from Psalm 147, uh, 1 and 5. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Wait a minute. I've got the wrong slideshow up here. I hate it when that happens. Okay. This is not a good day. We, what? Yep. Blame it on the weather. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Now, I chose this because of its relationship to the passage we were going to study this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But um, we'll just have to come back next time because today, of course, we're just going to have our, uh, have our communion service. So be, we need to be in prayer and go to the Lord in prayer before we begin our study of the Word this morning. We need to make sure that we are in right relationship with the Lord, prepared to uh, walk with Him in fellowship and dependence upon the Holy Spirit to to, uh, guide and direct our thinking as we celebrate communion this, this morning. So after a few moments of silent prayer, then I will open in prayer. Let's pray.
Our Father, as we read the scriptures and as we contemplate what you have revealed to us about yourself, we come to understand your omniscience, that you know all things. You not only know what will happen, you know what might have happened, what could have happened. You know all of the options, all of the alternatives. And, Father, that which takes place is your plan, according to your plan, working itself out in human history. And it is, a, it is designed to teach us and to teach the angels about your character, about the importance of being absolutely, totally dependent upon you, and recognizing that when all is said and done, that we will be able to echo with Paul in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For all of history will testify to your, uh, to your manifold wisdom, and that is what the angels are looking into and what we demonstrate in this life. Ultimately, this grounds itself in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who came into history to go to the cross to pay for our sins. And, Father, we are so thankful that we have this good news, this wonderful news, that our salvation is not dependent upon anything that we do, but is totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And, Father, we pray this morning for those in this congregation, for others, for this ice storm that is coming down, that this would be uh, a time when we can um, perhaps relax a little bit and have an opportunity to reflect upon your word, read your word, uh, pray. And, Father, we pray that you would keep us all safe today and in this coming week and that you would give us uh, give us grace as we deal with whatever might come this week. Father, we pray for our missionaries, for the Myers. We pray for those in Ukraine, thankful for a great ministry there. And, Father, now as we come together to worship you at the Lord's table, we pray that, that we might be able to discipline ourselves in our thinking, focusing upon who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us on the cross. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to sing our first hymn. It is hymn number 183, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. So please stand as we sing together.
this time as we prepare to observe the Lord's table this morning, you might want to go ahead and open your little cup to make sure that you can easily and uh, quickly access the uh, bread and then the cup itself. So uh, you might prepare for that. It's always a challenge sometimes to open these things, which is what I'm having this morning. Now that we have prepared ourselves, come together to celebrate the Lord's table, which is one of two, we call them ordinances. Others will refer to them by the name of sacraments, but it is the word sacrament gets rather um, ambiguous because if you come from some theological traditions, the idea of a sacrament is that you are receiving grace in some way, and that is not the purpose of the Lord's table. The Lord's table is designed for us to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study in the scripture, we have seen that the concept of memory is very important and emphasized throughout scripture. And it is not simply the idea of recalling past events, but is to remember those events for the purpose of transforming our lives. That again and again, when God says remember, it isn't simply to uh, have a little history lesson, but is to remember and do something. Uh, We have this in other things. For example, when God says, listen, it doesn't just mean to be quiet and pay attention. It means to respond positively and to do what God says to do. So God's commands are often focused on us remembering and changing, transforming, that because we remember who Christ is and what he did for us, that this is a motivation for us in life to uh, serve him, to live for him, and to glorify God. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ observed the Last Supper, the Seder meal with his apostles, he was teaching them so much. He taught them with reference to the when he took the uh, basin and the towel and he washed their feet to teach them about the importance of uh, cleansing, which relates to both confession and forgiveness. And he was teaching not only that we need to be in right relationship with him uh, in terms of confessing sin so that we might be forgiven and cleansed. That's the picture there, cleansed of all unrighteousness. But as God has uh, forgiven us, we are to forgive one another because as you read through John chapter 13, that is where Jesus is driving the conversation is just as he does this for us, we are to do it for one another. And of course, there are many uh, traditions who have 
uh, misunderstood this, and they have thought that we need to literally wash one another's feet, feet or something, uh, something else in terms of application. But the point that our Lord is making is that we are to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And then he goes on from that to his uh, ultimate command in that section is that we are to love one another as he has loved us. And Scripture says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because it is the cross that is the ultimate picture of God's love for us. As Paul says in Romans, God demonstrated his love for us. And this is a word that has some significance in the sense that it is a word that is often used in a legal context of of demonstrating or exhibiting evidence in a trial. And God puts out this evidence of his uh, love for us And it is seen in the fact that he sent his son to enter into human history. And we just cannot fathom this, that that the eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent second person of the Trinity was able to somehow limit himself, enter into human history as a finite human being so that he could live with us, demonstrate to us God's love for us, and then go to the cross to pay the penalty on our behalf for our sins. And so when he is at that Last Supper, that Seder meal, he takes these two elements of the Seder meal and he assigns them new meaning. They came out of a background of the Passover meal, as you know, and the bread was a a picture, a prophecy in type of the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ that was not tainted by sin, that was not, uh, he was not uh, a fallen human being, but he was impeccable and therefore qualified to go to the cross on our behalf. So the bread represents Christ in his humanity. The cup represents Christ's work, that because he was sinless, like that spotless uh, lamb without spot or blemish in the Old Testament, the sacrifices again and again are to be of a lamb that's without spot or blemish as a signifying the sinlessness of the ultimate sacrifice, that that prepared him, qualified him, to be our substitute, to go to the cross and to die for us. As Peter says, that he bore in his own body on the tree our sin. And there's no sin that God forgot. There's no sin that you can commit that's too great for the grace of God. There's no sin that you or I can commit that somehow disqualifies us or causes us to lose salvation. And God has provided a sufficient sacrifice. He solved the problem for us, the ultimate problem of our sin. And the eating and the drinking of the, uh, of the bread and the cup is a picture as well of faith. 
of accepting something as true, accepting it into our lives. And it is, along with that, a picture of fellowship. Because often in throughout Scripture, this idea of sitting down together at a meal is a picture of that intimacy and a picture of rapport and a picture of that relationship we should have on a regular, ongoing basis uh, with God as we walk by the Holy Spirit. So there are so many dimensions to what we uh, have in the Lord's table that should be part of our thinking as we come together uh, to worship uh, the Lord by partaking of the elements of the Lord's table. Before we partake of the bread, let me return thanks for it. Our Father, we are so thankful for our Savior. Our Savior who is fully human, and at the same time he is undiminished deity. But in his humanity he came to die for us, a substitute, a human for all of humanity, and that he was able to take upon himself that punishment that we can only imagine what it must have been like for him to have borne our sins and paid that penalty and endured that judicial separation from the Father on the cross for those three hours and the agony that that brought. And, and we will never, ever in our finite minds, even in heaven, be able to fully comprehend that. But we pray that when we, and we hope that when we are in heaven, we'll have a greater understanding of just what that means. So, Father, as we partake of the bread, we are reminded of our, our Lord in his humanity, in his perfection, in his sinlessness, and that what, that's what qualified him to go to the cross to die for us. And we thank you for this bread. In Christ's name, amen. And our Lord came to the time when they would break the matzah, and he broke it, passed it out to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. The second element is the cup. The cup historically was was wine as it was in the in the Passover meal. Somewhere in the early 19th century, a man by the name of Welch, who was a Methodist lay preacher, decided that back in those days, Baptists would, were the alcohol drinkers and Methodists were the teetotalers. Things switched in the 20th century. And so he devised a process for keeping grape juice from fermenting. And that is why many churches use grape juice, and that's, there's not a problem with that. But I think that, that we ought to recognize that in the Scripture it was always wine, and it's that deep color, the deep red color of the wine or the grape juice that was a picture of shed blood, which in turn was an idiom for a violent form of death. We first read that term in Genesis 9 in the covenant with Noah where God said, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood should also be shed. 
So that term covers a range of violent forms of death, usually in an unjustified way. And when we come to the death of Christ, it indeed was unjustified. He, was, he committed no crime. He was not guilty of the crimes they assigned to him. He was not seeking to overthrow uh, the government of Rome. He was not an enemy of Caesar. He was not seeking to uh, cause any form of rebellion. He was here simply to provide a salvation at his first, uh, first advent, at his first coming. And so he was taken. There were a number of trials that violated both the law of the Jews, the traditions of the Pharisees, the law of Moses, as well as uh, Roman law. And so he is unjustly condemned, and yet he opened not his mouth. He did not say anything. He did not argue. He did not fight back. He did not get angry. He did not resist. He didn't engage in civil disobedience. He went to the cross willingly for the purpose of dying for our sins. And on that cross, he died spiritually first. He died in that separation from God, which is what spiritual death is. The penalty for sin is God outlined in Genesis 2.17. And then only after he had finished paying the penalty for our sins, did he say, it is finished, it is complete, it is paid in full, an idiom that would be found written on the once a debt had been paid off to tell us die. It's paid in full. And so then he died physically, demonstrating that he would conquer even the greatest consequence of sin, and that is physical death, so that three days later he rose from the dead and conquered death and giving us hope for eternal life. And so he came to the third cup in that Seder meal, the cup that was identified by the Jews as the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. And by that he meant that he was he was a sacrifice, a sacrifice for the covenant. Now, a lot of people get confused about this because that didn't begin the covenant. Because what begins a covenant is when an oath is made. It's not the sacrifice. The sacrifice is that undergirds it. But what begins it is an oath. And so when he says, this is the new covenant of my blood, he is talking to them as Jews, indicating that it is his sacrifice that is ultimately going to be the basis for the establishment of that covenant uh, with Israel that God predicted in Jeremiah. And also in Jeremiah, we have the prediction that when Christ returns at that time, he will swear an oath with Israel. That's what begins and uh, initiates uh, the new covenant. So what we have here, though, for the church is a, is a representation of the fact that Christ's death covers uh, the penalty of sin and it prepares us as believers in the church age to rule and reign with him in the future when he comes, establishes that new covenant, and establishes his kingdom. Before we partake of the cup, let me return thanks for it. Our Father, we thank you for this cup, for what it represents in the death of Christ, his substitutionary atonement for us on the cross. And our Father, we pray that 
uh, as we think through what we are doing, that it, we realize this is a symbol of our faith in Christ as we take in the cup. It is symbolic of accepting Christ's death on our behalf. Father, we thank you for what it represents, and we're thankful for our salvation that is far beyond anything we can imagine. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus took the cup and said, This is the new covenant of my blood which is given for you. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Following the observance of Passover, they would sing from the Hallel Psalms, We sing from when we sing when I survey the wondrous cross. We'll sing the version that is in the inside uh, of the back cover of your hymnal. So let's stand together and sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And we could, when we conclude, I'm going to ask Alan to close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and hear your word. We thank you for the the uh, communion that we've uh, celebrated today, that you've provided this for us. And I thank you that you have provided a safe return to our pastor, and we're very happy that he is in good health and is able to bring us the word on a regular basis. We pray now that everyone going home will be safe. Be careful in the driving and praise that you'll get home safe and be able to return soon. 
Uh, again, thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.